The following sermon was delivered in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. So today we're going to take a look at this beautiful marriage that God gave us. So uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank all of you that responded when we had a plea for a little help in the office. Um, I really appreciate it, and I want to uh, thank Denise Gleason, who is our new voluntary church secretary. So uh, pray for her <laughs> as she puts us on a little bit of organization and, uh, and gets this church moving in a beloved Christ manner that uh, he desires. I also want to uh, say that we are having a dinners for six to eight signups that you got in your bulletin, so uh, the signups are in the back table. So if you're interested in meeting some people that you haven't met or getting to know people that you already know a little better, then uh, please sign up and uh, we'll get that going in the next few weeks. So uh, this talk that I'm going to do sort of came about because uh, my daughter, about 40 days ago, said they finally set a date for their wedding. It's next Saturday. <laughs> so when uh, Denise and I were in the office and Frank came in because he got kicked out of school because his voice had left him, uh, and he said, are you ready? <laughs> and I said, of course, the con man that I am. Um, but uh, as, as we tried to figure out how to best support Frank because his voice was, uh, needed a rest, um, God had started preparing me because my daughter also had in her escape room mentality, searched out my ordination certificate to see, was I qualified if I had to marry them? And so my thoughts went to, what do you say, not only at your first wedding, but your daughter's wedding? And you can do a lot of things. You can, and I did, you can Google the format. That's easy. All right. It's pretty straightforward. You know, you can Google What's actually required in a wedding ceremony? There's only like four things, all right? It's, it's actually fairly simple. You have to be qualified. The bride and the groom have to say, I do, all right? You have to proclaim them as one marriage, and you have to sign the marriage certificate with the two witnesses and turn it into 10 days. It's easy, right? But in the middle of this talk, at least the few weddings that I've had, the person who's presiding over it, gives a presentation of what the wedding is. And if it's a Christ-centered message, then it has something to do with Christ and hopefully the gospel and bringing it into this marriage. And this is where my thoughts got going about what would I say. And so with that, we have what we're going to look at today. And my grandiose, my grandiose ideas was to start in Genesis and end in Revelation. We're going to see how far we get. <laughs> but we're going to start in Genesis. So Genesis, it starts in the beginning, right? Now the best part about this, this is actually the only chapter I ever read as a kid. I wasn't raised in the church, and I had to do... I had to finish a Cub Scout activity, which required me to read a chapter in the Bible. <laughs> and this is the one I read. So, but starting here is a good start. Because as we see in Genesis, we have God creating things. And I've never looked at it before in this manner. But we have God creating a series of complements. God created, what? 
The overriding complements is the heaven and the earth, right? But then we have night and day. We have waters and dry land. We have the sun and the moon. We have plants and living creatures. See, all these things were created to operate together. They weren't, one wasn't better than the other. Not in the heaven, even the heavens and the earth. They were not, one wasn't greater than the other. They were made to come together and work together. So when he gets to his sixth day, he makes the pinnacle of his creation at this point in time, which is man and woman. So if we turn to Genesis 26, we have God doing something amazing with this creation. So then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, him, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now let's just stop there. So there's our perfect complement. God created man and woman to have a purpose in life. So more purpose than water, which is purpose to be wet. All right? More purpose than the birds. Okay? He gave them a greater purpose. And it says that God blessed them and he gave to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God blessed them and gave them a purpose. And this is what I believe is the first beautiful marriage. God presiding over the first man and woman and giving them marriage. Now, as compliments, Adam and Eve were created just for each other. And I don't think the God that did it here has changed one iota. He's the same God. So he's still making compliments in your marriage. He's still finding you the person that best compliments you and hopefully vice versa. So I believe that my Jenny, because if you say Jennifer in this church, every five heads are going to pop up, but my Jennifer was made perfectly for me. And I, and I say this with enough emphasis that God could have done it differently. See, we didn't meet each other right away. We weren't high school sweethearts. God decided that we needed some time, aging us like fine wine. And he gave us some street cred, a.k.a. kids. And, but God could have made us high school sweethearts. We went to the same high school together. We had the same friends. I played soccer with her brother. We never met each other. So he could have done it differently, but he didn't. He decided that at the right time, we were going to meet each other. And our compliments are very interesting. So... At 20 years ago-ish. So we were chosen to coach a traveling soccer team, which is a big honor. I mean, you know, it's huge. And so we had to go through the tryouts, watch all the kids, make your draft list, and then go into a room with a bunch of other coaches and draft your kids. Well, her skill sets are such that she can quickly discern when a player is good, what player needs, what struggles they have, and she can quickly formulate that list so that we can go into a draft. I can do the same things, but when I look at a player and I see how, what they're good at, what they're, they need help with, I look at, I've got something to work with. I know how I can help that player. It's not, my first emphasis is not making a list and choosing who's best. Hers is. So the compliments, as we go into draft, and we have a great list of kids that we can go through 
And then we start building a team. The complements work perfectly together because she has the quick discerning skills, but I have the skills to help the team and figure out the drills and how to, figure, how to make them better players and love the game of soccer. So the complements were perfect. And we have found out that in, as we do stuff together, and we've done a lot of things together, uh, Cub Scouts, uh, ministries, you name it. When we work together, the ministry comes out much, much better than when we have to work separately. So that complement strategy is a beautiful thing by God. So God does something further in that. And we don't fi- figure this out until we look at the complement to this chapter, which is chapter 2. So if we go over to chapter 2, so the focus on this one is that, remember, God blessed the man and the woman, right? He gave them a mission, okay? And then, basically, how are we supposed to do this mission? How are they supposed to do it? And this is what we find out in Genesis 2, 24. So Genesis 2, 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So God, not just giving them a mission together, not just making them compliments, but they were to operate as one flesh, okay? So if you are in a marriage or have been in a marriage, operating as one flesh can be very, very wonderful and very, very difficult. You have two people. Sometimes they're opposites. Jennifer and I are a little opposite, okay? We have the similar goals, going to church, but which road we take will take the different roads 90% of the time, okay? So... But God said we are to operate as one flesh. So now, it's, since it is difficult, and it's kind of like David and Goliath in a three-legged race, you know, it, it, it can be that much of a struggle where you're trying to get to that common goal, but it just doesn't work out, and you fall down a lot. So, but it, it, it gets a little, a little worse, and I'm going to make it a little worse before I make it better right now. So... I'm a kid teacher, so we're going to do a little exercise, okay? So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine a perfect place. Now, it can be whatever perfect place you think, whatever's perfect for you, all right? But in this place, there are no car alarms. There are no trains. There are no sirens. There is no death. There is no disease, Everything that you need is provided for you. You don't have to wake up one morning and wonder what you're going to wear. It's a perfect place. And you're there with your spouse. This perfect place. Now you can open your eyes if you're still awake. That perfect place is what Adam and Eve got married in. So they had everything they needed. They didn't have to want for anything. No mortgages, no rents, no broken down cars. They didn't have the stress of taxes. Okay, they had everything going for them. But even in that perfect place, Adam and Eve struggled making good choices in this one flesh relationship. So one, I want to encourage you, don't kick yourself too much if you make wrong choices. Because they couldn't do it in a perfect place. But two, I want to challenge you the fact that where is the hope then? If they couldn't do this in a perfect place with perfect scenarios, I mean, how many times have our excuses been, 
I am anxious because of, and you fill in the blank as to why you're anxious. I have a wedding in six days, so you can imagine how I'm anxious. But they had it perfect. So what hope do we have to ever be able to live in this one flesh creation that God made? Well, we're going to take a step back. We're going to go to the rest of the Bible, the part that Adam and Eve didn't have. And we're going to see how we can have hope in functioning in this one flesh relationship. And first, I want to tell you that what is this beautiful marriage that God created? So, and I want to bring in that there's another compliment. All right? If we turn to Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, we see Paul present a mystery. He says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So mirroring exactly what was just said in Genesis. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. So Paul is saying that this marriage, this beautiful marriage, is a picture of Christ and the church. It's a mystery. And for all practical purposes, it's still kind of a mystery and how they all blend together and how this mirrors Christ in the church. But from what we know, Christ in the church needs, just like the marriage had, this, one, this new creation, this one flesh, Christ in the church had a new creation also. So we find that just a little bit back in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we have Christ in the church as this picture of what the marriage is supposed to look like. And we have this new creation, very similar, parallels to what just happened in Genesis. But we don't know how we can operate. We don't know necessarily where the hope is yet in how we can operate as this one flesh. But we find out, if we keep reading just right here where we are, we find out where the power we get to function as one flesh. It says, continuing 18, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, who was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrust to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to Christ. For, this, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what we see is the power that God displayed through his grace down to us that reconciled us to him, that power, that vertical relationship, is what gives us the power to actually operate in one flesh. Now, without this power... I mean, you're just as good as an unbeliever. And I honestly don't know how unbelievers make it 20 years in a marriage. All right? It, it, it baffles me. I was an unbeliever the first two years of our marriage. And the fights we had were the fights we had. <laughs> uh, you know, each, each time it would be a perceived infraction from one. And then the reaction, because uh, I had no self-worth necessarily. I wanted to defend myself. And then, of course, the perceived rea reaction becomes an actual reaction. So, and then it's just this 
circle of events that happen in arguments, and it can happen for years. And without a perspective on Christ and what he's done for us and what he's doing for us, without utilizing the power of grace that he bestows on us day and day and day, without that perspective, well, we're lost. So it's through the power of that perspective, that vertical relationship, that we can then, I think Piper put it, bend that vertical relationship to a horizontal one, to actually live out that relationship with the people around us. And the first person you're going to hit is the, the person you're married with. So we can see that, that vertical relationship and that bending out a horizontal relationship. If we go back to Ephesians, I know I'm going back and forth on you. Hope they're really close together though. So Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. That vertical relationship, as we, as we practice that vertical relationship, we gain the power to bend it to a horizontal one. And Paul says, that says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, the Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So it's that bending of that relationship that helps us to deal with and and work better together in this complementary relationship of the one flesh. And you have to practice the vertical because you'll lose sight of the horizontal. That, that last, well, that middle phrase, bearing one another in love. It's a powerful one. It's one of those phrases that as a married couple, when you come to differences, it's one of those you can go back to. Bearing with one another in love. You have to. You have to get the perspective that this is what he wants for you. This is the relationship that he wants you to operate in, and he, he's got missions for you, and he's got purpose for you, and this is how he wants you to proceed in his purposes, by bearing with one another in love. Now, this starts with your spouse, but it doesn't end there. It can be applied to any relationship. The power of, of what we remember on the vertical relationship has a huge perspective on what we can do in the horizontal. If we forget what God has done, if we forget everything that he's done for us, if we forget his promises or don't rely on his promises, we lose sight of so many things. And it's with those remembrances that we can actually do better in our marriage. Now, uh, I actually had someone this last week who uh, was, he didn't, he's not struggling. He just had a question about how do we know we're saved? And he asked it as uh, more of a question like, what if we were walking down the right road, but we ended up we were on the wrong side of the road? <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's how do you pinpoint that? But it was through the remembrance of what God has done that I can answer that question. So God gave you a guarantee of your salvation. The Spirit. And the Spirit is going to produce something in you called the fruit. And although you can't tell from people that you look at, you can tell from within yourself that God is molding things together, changing things in your life, and producing this fruit. And you can, what our VBS kids learn, 
call these God-sighting moments to say that, yes, God is working in my life. So it's, it's much more difficult to try to look at other people and see their fruit. It's much easier to look at yourself and see where God is working in you and then use that relationship to then bend it towards other people. So we have this, what I'd like to call now a beautiful practice of marriage. And I think the lawyers and the doctors, they got it too easy when they say they're in practice together, okay? I think the first practice was marriage, okay? It's not the fact that you got married, like a final thing. It's, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship. It's a relationship that you have to build over years, over, and, and it's an active relationship. You got to participate. So, and it's that same practice that God actually wants you to do with him in his horizontal relationship. So I, I don't... I got a little question for you. What does God like to have for breakfast? It, it's, it's a funny, but you know, we spend all this time with our spouses figuring out what they like. You know, I know what Jennifer's bre- breakfast choice is. I also know the breakfast choice that I can actually make that she'll like. <laughs> They're different. All right? So we spend all this time figuring this out, but we seem to sometimes say, you know, God, I, I'm not going to spend time with you. We, we, can, we can pray to him so we can talk to him, but we rarely spend time trying to figure out who he is, what he wants for us. Where was his faithfulness to the Israelites? Where was his faithfulness to God, to, to Christ? You know, how did he bring him in? We spend sometimes very little time trying to figure that out and mold that out so that we understand this horizontal relationship, everything that he's given up just for us, and not because we had cool hair, because just he chose to love us. That's it. And he gave it all up just for us. So if we spend, just as we spend time trying to figure out our spouse, if we spend time trying to figure out this, if we spend time trying to figure out this vertical relationship and practice this relationship with God, we'll actually have better practices with these horizontal relationships. Does that make sense? I have to ask that because I talk to kids all the time and they drift, all right? So I want to share with you that there's some ways of guarding yourself against going too far astray. And I talk to them about power verses, okay? Verses that you, you, if you have difficulty memorizing, you don't have to memorize them word for word, okay? But they're verses that you want to be able to call to mind to be able to say, yes, I remember, Lord, all right? And, and I'm going to share with you a couple of mine, okay? I don't have them perfectly memorized, so I'm going to read them. But I have them enough memorized where I can remember them. All right? So my first one, and you can borrow them if you need to, by the way, is Romans 7, 24 to 25. And I like this one because it leads into chapter 8. So it's, it, it's in, those, in those desperate times when you've probably screwed up and you have to realize that you screwed up, it's one that brings me out of the ditch that I just dug for myself. And it's wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Now that's usually where I stop in my musings. Because you've got to kind of pause there and realize how deep you dug your hole. And then thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So it's a realization that there's this battle between even in you. Okay? And, and, and the power verse is actually the next chapter. 
that there's no condemnation. So it's one of those verses that I can figure out, one, I've done something wrong. Two, Christ is there for me. And I can then do what I need to do. Usually it's apologize. You know, usually it's, 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 it's figuring out where I went wrong and making it right. My other power verse that I'm going to share is 1 Corinthians. So it's, it's still nearby in the same area. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. And this is one where, similar to bearing with one another in love, it's one that gives a perspective because it tells us what love is. And we can know that we are to operate in a loving environment towards our spouse. But without the knowledge of what love is, it could be a lot of things. Hallmark cards got a lot of definitions of love, all right? But this is God's definition of love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Pretty much everything above there is all the things I've done wrong in my life and had to realize that I did wrong. I mean, pretty much word for word, one of those things are are there. And then it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love is a powerful, powerful word that we kind of take for granted sometimes. And our world out here takes love for granted all the time sometimes. And we need to figure out what God's definition of is to actually understand how are we to operate. So, patient, kind, enduring. Not boastful. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's the first one that comes to mind when you get to an argument. I want to boast. I, I want to I somehow bring that person down because, because they feel like they're higher than me. <laughs> so, but love doesn't do that. And love in and of itself is, is the operating point that we can actually operate in this one flesh relationship. That we can operate with the people around us. And that we can actually, with the power of God, go out in his mission field and do wonderful things through his power of grace. So, there's abundance of things that this marriage is. This beautiful practice of marriages. And we can unpack more verses about how it mirrors Christ in the church and how one a beautiful thing is and what perspective we can have as we lead this beautiful practice of marriage. But I had Jeannie read Revelation 21, and it gave an overall perspective on where we're going. Don't you want to know where you're going? I mean, isn't that the goal? I mean, the first step to drive to New York is to find out where it is, right? And Revelation 21 gives us a perspective on what we're doing. Where are we going with all this? And the perspective is Christ is returning for his bride. That's a promise. He is returning. There's no if and or but. He's going to return. And the beauty of his bride is exactly what Jeannie was reading about. So much detail went into the beauty of what this bride that was coming, descending from the heavens. So much beauty. That's what he's making us into, even though it doesn't look like it from time to time. That's the beautiful church that we're being built into. That's after the result of being conformed in his image. He's building a beautiful bride that he will come back for. So it's with that perspective that I want to leave you. 
keep that perspective in mind. As you, even if you're, if you're not married, it doesn't matter. You have the ability and the power through the grace of God to bend out this loving relationship to anybody, even people you don't like. And there's people out there you're not going to like. You know, even in the church. You know, and, and I dare you, go to another church. You're going to find the same people there. You know, we find that sinners are in the church. Weird. You know, and, and, and when you get to heaven, guess what? Those sinners are there too. You know, it's, it's, it's a perspective that you have to bear with one another in love and understand it all. So I'd like to close in prayer and have these thoughts on our mind as we finish our, our day together today and fellowship with each other. Dear Holy Father, we just, we thank you so much for your amazing grace, this, this ridiculous grace that you pour out to us, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord, that you've given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as someone that operates inside of us to discern the Word and the, and, and the things that you have for us, to help us to understand it, to mold it into practice, to be there when we fail, and to help pick us up. We ask you, Lord, to just help us in this, this beautiful practice of marriage. To help us with this, the, the relationships that we have in this life, the people that you bring to us that you want us to hear, you want them to hear your word and your will and your love. And we ask you, Lord, just to continue us to empower us that we can be confident, that we can speak your word even when we're scared. And we ask all of this in your son's name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.